Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Happy Easter, Mercy family. We're here. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you're new with us, my name is Spence. I serve as a lead pastor here at Mercy Church. Uh, and if you are new, let me say uh, welcome. We are so glad you're here. We've been praying for you. It's funny. By this time in a worship service, if you're brand new, uh, you're having one of two uh, reactions right now. Either it's like, okay, I was a little bit nervous as a new church, but I think this is going to be okay. Or... You're like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Help me, Jesus. All right. If, um, if that's you, that second one, just be encouraged. We have lots of exit doors in our facility, okay? You can run out at any time, and you will be just fine, all right? I do want you to know, though, that Jesus did build the church with you in mind. Like when Jesus talks about his own ministry, he talked about it all the time like it wasn't a VIP club for the super holy. He talked about it like it was a hospital for sinners, That's what we want to be like here, a church where weary sinners with burdens and problems and struggles and and with those fake lives that look all put together on the outside, but inside are totally dysfunctional, right? Where all people can find hope in God, where all people can discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus, no matter where you are. So you're welcome here. We want to help you take your next step with Jesus. That's what we do around here. Now, today being Easter, we're going to open up our Bibles over to the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. But if uh, we're going to look at the resurrection, because Easter Sunday is what we're doing. If you were to come back next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus. Uh, This is actually a great time if you're stepping into Mercy Church. It's a great time to get started with us, because as we go into next week, we're going to be looking at the plagues in Exodus. And what we're seeing um, in this series of sermons through Exodus is how God delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt, two million people, and God brings them out of Egypt. And what we're seeing is that that same power that saves his people from the most powerful nation on earth at the time, that same power is available to save and heal us still to this very day. But today we're on the resurrection. Every year we pull our attention here because our whole faith hinges on whether or not this really happened. And so my main point for you today is just one point. One thing I want you to walk out with today is simply this. If Jesus got out of the grave, then there's hope for sinners. If he got out of the grave, there really is hope for sinners. And by the way, sinners, I say it, that's everybody. All right, there's only two kinds of people in this world, sinners and liars. All right. And if you fall into the second camp, that's a sin. All right. So there you are right back in the first. We all sin. We all, we sin. Not only that, we all suffer from one another's sins. We suffer from other people's sins. I mean, you think uh, globally, you look at the news of just the past week, you turn on the news any day now, it feels like, what do you see? You see the effects of sin. You think of the New York city uh, subway shooting or the continued bombings and attacks in Ukraine, but that's just globally. And you see evil, you see other people suffering at the hands of other people's sin, but you also experience it in your own home. You experience it with your own friends. 
Uh, Even if you have no prior knowledge of Christianity, when you came today, listen, you and I can agree with the basic Christian claim that the world is broken. It's hurting. But man, Christianity not only offers an explanation for that, it offers an answer, a response. And what I'm telling you today, it's the greatest news the world has ever heard. Because the resurrection of Jesus means there's hope for sinners of all kinds. Sinners who hide their sin and sinners who live in it wide open. Hope for everybody. Like I said, we're to be a hospital for sinners and the cure is the resurrecting power of Jesus. So we're going to get into it. I'm going to show you why we believe he really did get out of the grave and then why it matters to us. And that's Luke 24. We'll start in verse 1. If you're newer again to church, all we do is take a passage of the Bible and we just walk through it and see what God has for us there. Okay, do it week in, week out around here. So here we go. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, and now I'm going to pause and put an ellipsis there and make a comment here that's pretty important. A few things to note. This is Jesus' tomb. Jesus was crucified on Friday. They had taken Saturday off to rest because it was the Sabbath. And now, as soon as they could, they're coming to the tomb to perform a common burial ritual where they would use spices to care for the body of the deceased. And they find the stone rolled away and no body is there. Get it? That's the joke that I gave my kids. They're like, nobody. All right. Um, I'm a dad. But look, one of the things it says there, it says right at the, right where I stopped in verse four, they were perplexed. Because what, what, what's happening there? What's going on in their minds? They were starting to think, well, well, what could have happened? They're perplexed because dead bodies don't normally move around. They're right where you put them. And so they're starting to think about what could happen. What are the possible rational explanations for what could have happened here? Let me tell you a couple of theories that were there in their day and are still prominent in our day. Because we've got to figure out a, a rational, the world tries to figure out a rational explanation for what could have happened. Common theory? Well, maybe somebody broke in and stole the body. This idea, Matthew's own gospel tells us, was created by the chief priest who bribed Roman soldiers to spread the cover up because they were confused and they were pretty alarmed by this whole thing. Of course, there's a huge problem with this theory. Roman guards, a bunch of them, were stationed at the tomb and they were guarding it because that's what guards do, right? A bunch of disciples, fishermen and tax collectors are not getting past these guys and not rolling away this huge stone even if they do. The disciples are holed up in hiding. We'd know if they'd raided the tomb because the Roman army would have used that as an opportunity to mount an attack on them. So what else could have happened? Well, another theory that got floated around and still is to this day, more popular than you may realize, is maybe Jesus wasn't really dead when they put him in there. It's called the swoon theory. It's preposterous. He died a gruesome death. They even stabbed him in the side to make sure he was dead. These guys were professionals at killing people. This isn't like, um, I introduced my kids to the Princess Bride movie, if you know that movie, where, you know, it comes along and it's like, maybe he's mostly dead, but not all dead. No, that's not this. Now, this versions of this theory are especially popular in the Muslim world, not because it's plausible, 
But because of what's at stake, see y'all, we'd rather believe irrational explanations that deny God than rational explanations that accept him. Because if he really did get out of the grave, we got to rethink everything about who Jesus is. He can't just be a good teacher if he got out of the grave. He's more than that. We've got to rethink how to respond to him. So the, the third idea that gets floated, the last one I'll share with you, is that everybody just lied about it. And then eventually the lie outgrew the truth of what really happened. The problem is there are over 500 eyewitness testimonies of Jesus appearing to people for six weeks after his resurrection. This isn't just one guy standing in a dark room, writing something down, saying that he got some revelation and comes out and says, this is what happened. It's not even 12, it's hundreds. And they have nothing to gain by knowingly lying about it. Most of them were killed for saying Jesus rose from the grave. Peter's crucified upside down for it. John dies in prison. Several were burned at the stake and others were beheaded. If they weren't, they were ostracized. If they weren't killed, they didn't get anything for preaching about a resurrected Jesus, which is why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be more pitied than anyone. And he's right. It all hinges here. This is why we keep the gospel at the center of all we do here at our church. Because if this isn't true, none of the rest of it matters. If he didn't rise from the dead, Christians should be more pitied than anyone on the planet. But if he did, then there's hope for sinners. So I'm staking everything on the fact that he got out of the grave. There's a, um, a professor of modern history at Oxford University. His name was Tom Arnold. Not that Tom Arnold, the professor Tom Arnold, okay? Um, widely acclaimed three-volume history of Rome that he wrote. He said this about Jesus. He said, the evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been shown to be satisfactory according to the standards of any historian. It holds up according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from the bad. Tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as any judge reviewing the most important case. I myself have done this many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. Throughout my life, I've made a career of studying the histories of times and events, examining and weighing the evidence for what was written about each of them. And I know of no other one fact in history which is proved by better and fuller evidence than this one. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. Oh, here's the thing. I can give you I get mountains of evidence. We could go on for days, but I can't make you believe it. I can't make you believe he rose from the dead. And in fact, it's not my job. My job is to announce it to you, to show it to you and plead for you to believe it. And I say plead because of what's at stake in the news. But all I can do is sit it before you, and then whether you choose to believe it or not is between you and God. But if it is true, then there's hope for sinners. Let's go back into Luke 24, verse 3, just to recover it. They went in. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Just to be clear... These are angels, according to the Gospel of Matthew, but I don't know where your mind goes when you hear angels. I don't want you thinking about Cupid or something like that, all right? Think like giant warriors clothed in light. 
Usually when they show up, they have to tell the people that they show up to, don't be afraid, don't die right now in fear. And if they showed up to you, you'd probably do exactly what these women did. And I want you to hear the question they ask these women, these followers of Jesus, because it's the question for us today. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Ask the men. He's not here, but he has risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's a simple but deeply profound question when you let it linger on your mind for just a second. I mean, the, the surface meaning, of course, is why are you looking for dead Jesus? He's not dead. He is now living, right? He's risen. What in the world would a living person be doing in a tomb? But I want you to hear the angel asking you the same question. Because if you notice how we keep going back to empty tombs to try and find life, like, can you imagine if these women came back an hour later? and then came back the next day and then came back every day after that for the next 20 years? Is he here? Is there life here? You think they're insane. And yet that's us. We keep going to things over and over that we hope will give us life, but they're tombs that hold nothing but death. Y'all have watched men and women deal with addictions for years and they know there's nothing but death there. Yet they keep going back. I've had both a close friend and a cousin lose their lives to drug addictions, an empty tomb where there's nothing but death. I've watched men and women destroy their lives through porn addiction and marriages through porn addiction. They know it's a tomb, and even though they hate it, they still go back because of how strong the tug on it is. And I'm standing here telling you in full awareness of how strong the grip of addiction is that because Jesus got out of the tomb, there is hope for sinners. Because God says the power that brought Jesus out from the grave, Romans 8, 11, that power is now available to us. And I know people on the other side that through the power of Jesus, they're free. I mean, just last month, we had a group of guys graduate from a porn addiction recovery program here at our church, but they didn't do that through willpower. Willpower does not get you out of a grave. It doesn't. Only resurrection power can do that. And that's available to you today. And Christian, let me speak a little bit of hope to you. If Jesus got out of the grave, there's hope for that friend, for that child, for that brother, for that parent that you've been praying for. Don't give up hope. Keep praying. Keep praying because the, not the dead God, the living God is listening and he hears you. Y'all, there are even some things that we make into tombs. By looking for life in them. Good things that God gives us, we turn them into tombs because we go looking for life in there. One I struggle with as a pastor is work. Work is a good thing, one we're created for, but it was never meant to be our source of significance. It was never meant to be the place that we go back to looking for life. You know, I mean, look, performance reviews, promotions, they're good blessings, but when they become your source of life, they become tombs. I'm only 39, but I've been working long enough to tell you that I know how strong the pull is, how strong that pull is to sacrifice health, family, everything else in order to succeed at work. Why? Because if if I succeed at work, well, then I'm successful. Other people will see me as successful. Well, why do I want to be successful? So that deep down, I can feel like I am somebody. What are we doing? There's nothing there at the end of that. We have to keep going back again and again, hoping to find life and never finding it there. It's a tomb. There's no life, but the good news is there is hope 
for sinners who are enslaved to their work. You fill in the blank. There's all kinds of tombs. We can make the things that we turn into tombs. We can make relationships a tomb, right? A breakup should be something you grieve on, but it should never cause you an identity crisis. But if your relationship has become that source of identity, it's now become a tomb. There's no life there. No, that's only in Christ. I can keep going. What's your tomb? You may not have ever realized it, but it's a tomb. And the very shrewd lie we believe is that even though all I found was death last time, I'm going to go back again. But y'all, there's, don't look for the living among the dead. Let's keep going. The angel says, then remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it's necessary, it's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. The angel reminds them of the very message that Jesus had already preached to him. He'd already told him this. It's necessary. He had to die. And Jesus is going to talk more about that a little bit later in the passage. What the angels are saying is, don't you remember that everything that just happened has gone according to God's plan? Jesus told them that it was going to happen, and it happened, just like he said. It's true to this very moment. Y'all, God is fully in control of every single little detail that got you where you are right now this morning. As crazy as that may be. The situations in your life that created the friendship, like this is your first time in mercy and it's like you found your way here this morning and the friendships that you're now questioning maybe that got you here, all those things, all those things God was already, he was already putting together because he planned it. He's in control. And Easter is telling you he planned for Jesus to die. He had to, to pay for your sins and mine, but he also planned for Jesus to break free from death so that we could have life free from those tombs. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Here's what I want to do. I want to jump a little bit further down to verse 36. The disciples are all at dinner. I love Easter dinner. I have a ham in my fridge that I will be smoking starting at 2 p.m., okay? I love it, all right? But Jesus shows up, not eating ham at this dinner, though, okay? And out of nowhere... While they're all talking and everything and talking about rumors of the resurrection, verse 36, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, I want to pause right there. It's a great picture of what happens when you become a Christian. You are amazed and in disbelief because of your joy all at the same time. Because these guys went from mourning their murdered Savior to having dinner with him. His coming back to life has breathed new life into them too. And joy, that's what characterized the early church, and it's what comes to all believers. Joy, that's what I want for you, fullness of joy. I want you to experience what they're experiencing right now is the fulfillment of Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Y'all, empty tombs, they offer empty lives, but the risen Jesus offers hope for sinners. I promise you, my life's not missing out because I chose Jesus. I do not envy the world that God saved me from. I'm tempted to it all the time. And sometimes I still go back to those tombs. I don't, don't, don't look at me for perfection up here. But I'm telling you, he is better than those tombs. 
And those of you who have been there, you know it. There's nothing for you in those tombs. Man, but there with the risen Jesus is fullness of joy. Look at this. He asked them, you have anything here to eat? Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it, ate it in their presence to making sure that they see this is a fully human, not an apparition, a fully human risen Jesus. Verse 44, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then in what had to be the greatest Bible study of all time, which could have been there, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Here's what gets me. The resurrected Jesus keeps going back to the Bible to teach the disciples. Like I would think him standing there would be sufficient. Like that's the main point of attention. But no, the angel at the tomb said, remember your Bible? <laughs> and Jesus on his way to dinner met a couple of guys on the road. He disguised himself and taught them how the whole Bible pointed to himself. And here at dinner, he's saying, look at the Bible. It's all in there. If you knew my word, this resurrection would not be a surprise. It would be an expected, anticipated victory. And the resurrection is this big stamp of proof that God keeps his word. He does what he says he's going to do, which means he keeps his promises to you and I. So his promise that in Christ you are, <laughs> you, your sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west, it's guaranteed. The resurrection guarantees you God has the power and desire to forgive you from your sins and give you new life. Verse 46. Oh, man. Let me finish at verse 46 through 49. He also said to them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's what's written. That's the focus. And of everything I could, he could teach them, this is what he draws them to. This is what we draw to at Easter. The Messiah, the Savior, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. The last section here announces the hope for sinners. The core of our faith. Y'all, it's a message. It's an announcement. This is big if you're new to Christianity. Or maybe coming back to it because you got burned by it in the past. I am not sharing with you a set of rules to live by. That's not the core of the faith. Maybe that's been your hang up with religion. You think of it as a set of rules. But the core of Christianity is an announcement of news. Not rules. Look, I can see a, a couple of ways, maybe three that... This news calls, called the gospel gives hope to sinners. Here's the first one. The gospel hope is that sinners are saved from their sin. We're saved from our sin. When he breathed his last, last breath on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? Justice was finished. Every single one of us like I said earlier, it's a sinner. We are sinners, which means we just chose our way over God's way at some point in our lives. That's sin. That's what separates us from God. We rebelled against God just like a child does against their parent. But because God is a God of justice, which is a good thing, we need God to be a God of justice who's going to right every wrong. But because he is a just God, sin must be paid for. So what does Romans 6.23 tell us? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, like you understand how big it is that the gospel doesn't end in the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we are owed, our wage, what we're owed for our sin is death. Been that way since the first sin. He's not just going to let sin slide. And it's good for us. We wouldn't want a God like that. We need a God who will bring that justice, including justice to our own wrongs. It has to be paid for. Here's the way I told it to um, our church on Good Friday. Those of you that are here, you heard me say this, like this whole idea of we, our sin has to be paid for. It must because it's sin. Forgiveness involves payment. And the way I explained it was, let's say this afternoon, you know, it's Easter Sunday and this afternoon uh, you come over to my house to play football in the backyard. Now I'm going to ask you not to do that. I'm going to be tired at the end of the day. Okay. But let's say you ignore that. You show up, right? Um, and we're playing flag football or touch football. And one of my sons, because they're faster now than I re- realize they're growing up too fast and they catch a touchdown, run past you into the end zone and you get into a fit of rage and you go over to one of my split rail fence posts and you just kick that thing in a fit of rage and you break it in half because you're the incredible Hulk or something like that. And you break it. Well, you and I now have a problem, right? We got a problem because that thing is broken and it has to be paid for, right? And because we're in the post-COVID world, it's going to cost $80,000 probably to fix that. And it's going to arrive in 10 years when it gets repaired, right? Right? And somebody's got to do that, right? So I have two options in that moment. I can either make you pay for it or I can say, hey, it's okay. I got it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. But now if I say that and I extend that to you, somebody still has to pay for the fence post. It doesn't just magically fix because I extend forgiveness to you. No, I am taking that debt on myself. The same is true with the gospel. Sin is a breaking of God's commands and it incurs a debt. And because sin is against an infinite holy God, our debt is death, eternity apart from God. Either you pay it or he takes it on himself and forgives you. That's why we Christians get so hyped. Because the greatest act of forgiveness of all time, God paid the price of our sin and extends forgiveness to us and reconciliation to us. If he got out of the grave, y'all, there's hope for sinners. Here's the other hope. Not only are you forgiven of your sin, you, according to verse 49 in Luke 24, you get God. You get God himself. What a promise that I want to encourage you with. Our hope is not just in the idea that we'll go to heaven one day. It's that when we believe this gospel message, God himself comes to us. Not just that we go to God, he comes to us. Isn't that wild? That's the promised power that Jesus is talking about. God dwelling in us. He lived in the temple in the Old Testament, and we are his temple in the new. It's the promised power, God dwelling with us. That's where the power to change comes from. That's where the power to forgive someone comes from. It's where the power for (laughs) approval comes from. It's resurrection power living in you. You don't have to chase approval. You have God. What more could you need? It's his presence that brings security. I mean, how powerful is the notion that if you're in Christ, you'll never be alone ever, ever again, because God will be with you. Y'all, that's not hallmark sentiment. That is a core tenet of our faith. God is with you. It's true for those who believe. Here's the last hope in here. Sinners get victory over death. Y'all, I got to tell you, again, if you're newer with us, I'm kind of 
introducing you to our church a little bit, it's been a difficult month for our church. In the past four weeks, we've lost two young men um, in our church to traffic accidents, like sudden tragic things. In fact, one of their funerals was yesterday right here where I'm standing. But here's what I know. I know death is not the end for those who are in Christ. In Christ, death has lost its sting, and we are guaranteed to be in the presence of God. Michael Music was 21 years old, way too early. But here's what I know. Because Jesus got out of the grave, Michael lives. He lives. And there's such great hope in that um, old preacher, Billy Graham. Um, He used to say this uh, towards the end of his life, end of his ministry. He would say, you're going to hear one day the news that Billy Graham has died. And he said, don't believe it for a second. Because in that moment, I'll be more alive than I've ever been here on this earth. Y'all, that is a promise. But it's only a promise for those who believe And so I implored you, this is why I say, I can only plead with you, but I do. I don't want you to play games with God. I don't want you to delay your response to him until you're ready to settle down a little bit later in life or something like that. Because life is, it is far more fragile than we give it credit for. So deal with him today. Receive this gospel hope today. I plead with you. All I can do is draw us back to John 3.16. Maybe having heard all this, you'll hear this familiar verse in fresh with fresh ears and a fresh set of eyes. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The gift is extended to you. The offer, the offer and the hope of salvation is extended to you, but you must believe. And that's how I want to close. I want to offer you the chance to believe today. So let me... I'm going to invite our worship team. They're going to make their way back up. And I just want to close in a time of prayer and response. So if you would, bow your head. Get into a posture of prayer. If you're a Christian, I hope as you hear the announcement of the gospel this morning, your heart is drawn back to the Lord. And I want you to just say thank you to him. Thank him for the hope you have in Christ. Thank him that he got out of the grave and there's hope for you. If you're not a Christian... Now, let me just offer you the chance right now to respond to him. Say, yes, Lord, I want to believe. Here's how you respond to the gospel message. I want you to pray out, kind of lead you, but you can pray this in your own words. First, you admit that you are a sinner, which means you, like I said, you have chosen your way over God's way at any one point in your life. And yet we do it all the time. So yes, God, I admit I am a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and forgive my debt. You tell God, I believe it. You tell him, I believe he got out of the grave, giving victory over death, offering me new life. I believe it. And you tell him, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving me. 
We're staying in this posture of prayer, but if that's, if that's you, even now, this Easter Sunday morning, what better time, by the way, to re- respond to the hope of the gospel than on Easter, the day that announces there is hope for sinners? If that's you, I want to pray for you here this first time that you're responding to the Lord. Maybe you're coming back to him, or maybe you're responding to him for the first time. So I want to pray for you. I would love for you to just put your hand up high enough for me to see you and pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you so much that there, is, there really is hope for sinners. We don't deserve it. But in your kindness, in your goodness, God, you have seen fit to save us. I pray that we honor you today. Pray that we magnify the wonderful name of Jesus, the one who offers hope for sinners. We praise you. Oh, we praise you. In the mighty name of Christ, amen.